When it comes to being in business, the financial drivers are usually uppermost on our minds. Our next guest is Kira Wisman, operations and leadership expert at KWC Certified Public Accountants. If you want to know more about Kira and how her collaborative and compassionate leadership style adds to the numbers on the balance sheet, then join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Koch, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week, we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at The Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. Welcome to The Cashflow Show, Kira. Hello, happy to be here. Thank you very much for joining us. Kira, please tell the audience and The Cashflow crew where you're speaking from today. I am speaking from across the pond in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the United States. Excellent. And we love that. We love, these are what we call our transatlantic sessions, where since our politicians are slow, so slow in trying to build that relationship, oh. we're going to do it one podcast at a time. Hey, it's, it's no better than to be one-on-one with the actual people. You can leave the politicians out of everything. Exactly. So tell us more about your current role at KWC. Sure. So I joined the firm last December. Uh, You know, I wasn't looking for a position, but they reached out to me and we had a great conversation and uh, I was really excited about joining their advisory services department as a controller. You know, I manage a team of people doing various accounting tasks for various types of clients. You know, we have all different industries, all different types of accounting work. We do bookkeeping through CFO advisory. Some we just do that general bookkeeping. So we, we do a wide variety of things, in, uh, in, in including cash flow planning, the big part, you know, getting our, our clients to see the value in that upper level advisory role and not just looking backwards, looking forwards. And uh, we also, as, as a controller, I also get to have some fun in the administrative work of the department and the firm in general and trying to create a great culture and teaching those who are earlier in their careers how to grow and move up through the firm or you know move up in the business world in general. It's a lot of fun. You've just joined the firm recently. What was your experience like and what roles had you taken on beforehand? Had you always been involved in advisory? What's your background? So this is my first official advisory role. I feel like I've been advising in the corporate accounting world for a long time. Uh, I started my career a million years ago in public accounting and tax and uh, was in tax for about 15 years had an opportunity to, to get out of that grind of the tax world here in the United States is quite demanding. And so I moved into corporate accounting as a controller of a mid-sized business here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I spent 10 years uh, growing an accounting department, growing with the business. You know, and ultimately, it was a family-owned business. Ultimately, it was sold as part of a succession planning model. And uh, new owners came in and I thought, you know, it's time for me to move on. So I moved to actually a country club. I kind of thought I'm ready to step back in my career a little bit and take on something a little simpler. I went to a country club for a year. It was a little too simple. 
and I wasn't feeling challenged enough. And out of the blue, KWC reached out to me through a recruiter and uh, really liked the idea of helping other companies develop great accounting departments, great financial reporting, great cultures. And so that advisory role that has kind of come naturally to me through my regular corporate experience uh, is now being put to great use at KWC with multiple businesses. Do you feel that you've always been involved in the accounting stroke tax world? Is that something that when you first started your career that you were naturally drawn to, or is it something that you fell into initially? So in high school, my senior year, I took an accounting class. And I, before that, I wanted to be a horse trainer. Okay. (laughs) My parents uh, were so happy when I came home from school and said, I really like this accounting class. I think I'm going to major in accounting in college. So, you know, and off, off I went. And my dad had been an accountant. He was, he was CFO of an oil and gas firm here in the United States. And I didn't really pay much attention to what he had done, though, when I was growing up. Uh, and I learned that I come from a long line of accountants on the, my dad's side of the family. So I guess it was kind of a natural progression. So I, I have always been interested in accounting and numbers. I like filling out forms. I find it fun to put, you know, little numbers in little boxes. So, you know, tax was attractive with respect to there's a lot of forms involved. Um, but as I, I, I kind of moved through public accounting and moved into corporate, I really saw the need to take, you know, accountants aren't people people all the time. You know, they're numbers people. So I, I'm a people person also. So, uh, you know, people always say you have personality. You can't necessarily be, a, you know, an accountant. And I said, but I am. So I actually went back to school several years ago and got a psychology degree. And I, you know, was fascinated with uh, social psychology in the workplace, getting people to work together better, something that has become uh, part of the front line of today's business world, especially after our COVID restrictions and the changing in the work environment in general, and you know how to bridge the gaps between remote employees and Gen Z and the boomers generation and everybody trying to work together uh, in this crazy world. So uh, you know, I, I've kind of put all the skills to use, and uh, I like the numbers. I do enjoy putting together a great set of financial statements, but I enjoy really learning about the team and getting the team to work harmoniously with other departments within a company, which is not always people see the accountants coming and they duck and run. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, oh, geez, what did we do now? <laughs> so you know, I, I do, I, I enjoy all aspects, which is why I'm passionate about operations as much as I am about accounting. Excellent. And we're going to come on to that going forward. You see, so you're the CFO and controller at KWC. So you're really playing a pivotal role in ensuring financial compliance. So that sounds really challenging because I assume that not unlike in the UK or not not unlike in the UK, that you would have lots and lots of hurdles to jump through. So what are the strategies that you use in maintaining compliance when regulations are changing literally on a daily basis? You know, it's difficult. And uh, luckily, we're a full service public accounting firm. So we have a very solid tax and audit department and even a business services group that we can draw from uh, to keep us up to date in any type of regulatory changes. Uh, It's also a huge challenge because, you know, each one of our clients that we service are in a different industry. 
you know, or, or they're different in their own right, even if they're in the same industry and have a, a separate set of uh, rules to follow. So, you know, we do, there's a lot of research, a lot of reading, a lot of, a lot of getting to know our clients business and, you know, not just from a numbers standpoint of is, you know, what drove you to start this business? Where do you want to go? What does your day look like outside of debits and credits and dollars and cents? And, uh, and, you know, from those conversations, you start to get a feel for, you know what, we, we just learned that they're doing business in a new state. So there's, you know, you, you, know, you can't just go into a new state. You have sales tax considerations and regulatory filings and registrations. Uh, so, you know, so, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's a constant battle, you know, it's something you have to, to kind of keep your spidey sense aware of every day to, to make sure that the companies that we work with are compliant where they need to be compliant. And, and when we're not sure of something, if somebody's in an industry that's a little bit new to us, uh, we have a whole firm full of people where somebody in tax department, somebody in our audit department is going to have that specialized knowledge and can help us out. Do you feel that the role of the accountant and the advisor has changed dramatically? Oh, yes. But, you know, when I started in this industry, it was, uh, I, I would say there really wasn't a lot of advisory. Companies had their own accounting departments and you they weren't looking for their outside accountants to give them business advice on how to grow or take coming in and taking a look at their software systems and looking for inefficiencies. They're saying, my goodness, you know, we've grown to a $10 million business and we are writing 500 checks a month by hand. Help, we can't keep up with this. How can we become more technologically advanced and more efficient. So, you know, as much as it is important for us to get a set of financial statements out, the daily transactions recorded, bank reconciliations done, it's um, helping and teaching each one of our clients how to do, do these things more efficiently, the tech tools that are available to them within their industries. And we have a very standardized tech stack we use with our clients, to, you know, industry dependent and size dependent and guide them to these tools and teach them to use them. And uh, so we're as much, I feel sometimes an IT department as, as we are accountants and, and advisors. So, so you've got this advisory component of, Hey, made a little less money last month and spend a little bit more money over here. And, you know, we're kind of out of whack with our budget to, you know, your accounting software isn't getting us the reporting that we need to, to fix these situations you know we need to maybe upgrade your software or get you on an entirely different platform and by the way let's start paying all of your bills electronically so that you have more real-time insight into to your spend and you know we're not chasing outstanding checks anymore and running to the mailbox so yeah it's a much broader depth of work than than there was i mean even 10 years ago do you feel that the way that you see things progressing that AI is going to have an increasing position within your sphere and within your the work that you and your colleagues do. Absolutely. I mean, the, I feel the day that ChatGPT hit the ground, the whole world, first it's outside of our business, but I don't think one college student is ever going to write their own paper ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and it's a real challenge for our industry. It's going to be interesting to see where it shakes out. And um, you definitely have a, a divide when it comes to generations with this. You know, I think 
the older people are a little bit more cautious, a lot more cautious with diving headfirst into this. And the younger people are like, wait a minute, this is going to make our job so easy. And we won't even have a job. We'll just come in and press a couple buttons and we, you know, we'll all go to happy hour. And yay, you know? Um, <laughs> so I'm on the cautious side. There is a story here, whether it's true or not, that, you know, whatever you put into these, these AI models, it becomes public domain, you know, and there's not a lot of security about this. And there was a story that somebody at Samsung somewhere had been putting tech specs into a chat GPT type software, trying to get like a, a, a process manual written. And all of a sudden, somebody else got Samsung's tech details that were proprietary information. So our firm has taken the stance of, you know, we're not going to be putting any of our, our firm processes and we're not going to push AI down anybody's throat quite yet. Um, but we recognize that it's coming. And it is going to become an integral part of the landscape for financial services. Uh, and it definitely has its place. I, I think it needs to get better. You know, all of our tech tools have some AI component to them right now. QuickBooks Online is probably our most popular accounting software. And it already has and has for a while that, that intuitive, hey, you know, we know Home Depot is probably repairs and maintenance as an account. You know, it, it takes an educated guess and learns your company's patterns, but it's not always right. So, you know, it might not always get to the right place. And, and I think it's dangerous to just assume that you can bring an, an AI bot in to do all of this transactional level detail, because there is still a, a component that, you know, you need to know your client, you need to know what they're doing and not every transaction can be treated the same. So I, I think that it's a double-edged sword right now. So moving away from the robots that are thinking about taking over the world, in terms of dealing with people, what have you found motivates and engages employees in today's world? Considering them as a person. Everybody wants to be seen, everybody wants to be heard, and everybody wants to feel like they come with something to contribute. And all too often, managers in today's world, I feel don't listen to their staff. And uh, the, the key to getting loyalty and that motivation and somebody to go that extra mile is to take an interest in who they are, in who they are, understand what they think their strengths and weaknesses are, and understanding that you're going to need to communicate with everybody a little bit differently. You know, you're not communicate with the shy person on your team the same way you're going to communicate with an extrovert on your team. So as a, a leader or manager, you really have to kind of stay on your toes, be flexible and adaptable. And do you feel that sometimes in terms of your background, going away and doing that degree, was it is in psychology, was it? Yes. Yes. Doing your psychology degree, do you feel that gave you more of an analytical mind when it came to dealing with staff and employees? I do. You, you know, I, I always, I almost went and, and sought that degree because I was looking for an affirmation of how I was already thinking about things. And, and back in those days, public accounting was very much a let's point out what everybody does wrong and not point out what everybody does right. And that's a shame because, you know, if, if you come into work every day and you're, you know, you want to hide under your desk because every work product you turn out is just returned to you with a list of things you did wrong. After a while, you're not going to want to show up. Of course. 
So, uh, you know, I received that degree. I learned a host of things about myself, a host of things about the psychology world in general, and a host of things about how to take what you learn in psychology and apply it to the business world as a whole and into your everyday life at your own job and, and reading other people and understanding where somebody else is coming from and understanding that if somebody's having a bad day, that that's not a reflection on, on you as a person necessarily, you know? So yeah, I, it has been pivotal uh, for me to develop into the leader I am. And I'm passionate about sharing my thoughts and what has worked with me with others and hearing from others about what works for them and, and, and opening those conversations. I don't think we have those conversations enough. And do you feel that you as a person in an environment where when people are talking about money and talking about finances, that's quite a deeply personal thing, isn't it really? It is. It's often hard to broach that subject. Uh, you know, we, a lot of businesses come to us because their finances are in a bit of a mess and they, you have to know, you have to tread lightly. You don't want to come in and say, oh my goodness, your books are a mess. What did you do? You know? So yeah, it is. It's deeply personal. It's uh, people really take it as a reflection of who they are, which is, you know, again, lots of people don't have financial prowess and that's okay it's what what you have experts for but um it, it is just again that having that kindness compassion and openness with somebody will get you a long way to getting them to talk openly about their finances and when you mentioned earlier about you know people's business their the overall state of their business being in a mess you know it, it's an interesting how silly things like business owners keeping their receipts and identity, personal and business expenses separate. There's a lot of people who just don't seem to get that. Can you explain why they might come to that conclusion? Well, you know, if, if you're just wake up one day and you're like, I'm going to start an ice cream store and, you know, I'm going to use my own money to start this ice cream store. So it's my ice cream store. And you know, at the end of the day, it starts to grow and you're paying people and, and it's still your store in your mind. So I totally understand why somebody would say, why do I need to have a business credit card? I'm just going to use my personal credit card and I'm going to reap all of these rewards. And, you know, at the same time, I'm going to continue. To, it's all my money. I'm going to continue to charge my groceries and my trips, you know, to Las Vegas and wherever <laughs> to London. <laughs> you know really matter and and it certainly does matter at the end of the day because if you're just running your personal finances through your business you don't actually know how your business is doing you don't know how much money you're making you you know where is it coming from you know are you buying too many ice cream supplies who knows you know you, who knows so you know keeping those things separate come tax time your, your tax accountant will be extremely happy you won't be wading through things and it, it'll be a lot easier to get a set of a, a profit and loss statement together that is actually meaningful for your business so that you can make really good business decisions and keep the trip separate. And do you think as well, I've noticed that once upon a time, your relationship as a business owner with, with your accountant was such that you saw that person once a year. And then you, you know, if you're a self-employed person Oh, and you are maybe not a limited company like you may be here. You you handed over a stack of receipts, usually in a, a carrier bag or a paper bag. 
accountants always felt that they wanted to help their clients a lot more, but because they could never really pinpoint what had gone wrong in the business until it had already gone wrong, it, they, their hands were somewhat tied. Do you feel that with things like Zero, which is popular over in here in the UK, QuickBooks, Sage, a lot of these things, do you feel now that you can see a dashboard almost of exactly what's going on, how that's changed things? That, that is a game changer for sure. You know, it, it, we use QuickBooks Online and Sage here and, and, and Zero is is also popular. Our firm just doesn't happen to specialize in that particular software. But um, it's often difficult to convince small business owners to use these tools. And, uh, you know, it's also hard when we're talking about those personal versus business expenses. You know, I think the the small business owner thinks, you know what, my accountant is never going to really know. I may be able to deduct and take a tax deduction for anything that I spend my money on. And, uh, you know, and I won't pay taxes on that. It it doesn't work quite as well. But when you can get somebody into an accounting software and you can show them a dashboard and you can say, look, you know, here's the last six, 12 months of what you have done. You know, we've separated all your business expenses. And now, based on this last six, 12 months and the conversations we have had, we can now project this out for the next six, 12, 24 months and and see where you want to go. You know, hey, you want to double your business? This is what that's going to look like. And here's what you're going to need to do to get there. Even with um, beyond just those accounting packages, there's great uh, financial forecasting software out there now, such as Finmark and Giraffe that will allow you to say, all right, you're going to double your business. Your payroll is X dollars. You want to double your business. You're going to need to hire four more people. What will that look like? Okay. It's a double-edged sword again, because you have to convince people that this software is necessary. A lot of people don't trust software. You know, a lot of people aren't savvy with it. So you are now trusting your accountant to run this software for you, which is a big component of our advisory practice. And, um, and then you've got to get them interested in looking ahead. People really get bogged down in the past. I feel if they will stare at the last two years' numbers like something is going to magically materialize out of them and give you all the answers. And it's, it's, it's a risk to look ahead. It's a risk to say, I want to double my business or I want to triple my business in the next three years. And you know I don't even know how to wrap my brain around that. So you have to just kind of, again, talk to people and say, hey, it doesn't hurt to project the numbers. This is a projection. If you don't make it happen, at least we have a plan where it would be. And if we're not hitting that plan, then you can adjust accordingly. So uh, looking ahead with these tools that we now have available to us is more important than looking behind. In your experience that maybe some entrepreneurs are not always 100% on board, even with their own idea. Oh, they're deaf. No one is 100% on. Everybody second guesses. You know, there's there's a, a, a phrase in our industry, in accounting in general, you know, as soon as you put a budget out, it's it's, it's crap. You know, the <laughs> second you, we were done with the budget for this year. And usually it's not done till March. So you're already, you know, a quarter of the way into the year. And, you know, we're done with the budget. And you we look, we're like, well, we didn't even hit it for the first three months. And people tend to then just throw their hands up and and give up instead of 
all right, let's take a look at this. So we sales slowed down a little bit more. Are we going to make this up? Let's let's fix the budget. You know, leave the original budget and we'll do budget version two and budget version three. And um, and and people don't like to be wrong. And unfortunately, being wrong is a huge part of how you grow. You know, I think if you look at the most successful people in the business world, anywhere in the world, they made a lot of mistakes on their way to the top. So uh, you have to kind of put your ego aside with that and, and be willing to make these guesses. One of the most popular business programs here in the UK is a program called Dragon's Den. And you have your version over there, which is probably the original, which is Shark Tank. Oh, yes. You see, Dragon's Den is made to sound a bit sort of softer, not Shark Tank. Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons here yeah. for a second. <laughs> and castles, and castles. Oh, lots of castles. <laughs> <laughs> but as a consequence of that, what usually happens to most of the businesses who come onto our version of um, Shark Tank, obviously Dragon's Den, is that they find themselves in a position where everything is going great. They've set up the pitch, everything's going well, until somebody says, can you show me the numbers? And that's when it all falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the idea, unless they're pitching a financial product, usually the people pitching these great inventions, these great ideas are not financially minded people. And they don't always have the funds to pay for that when they're starting out. You know, they've, they've, they've come up with the idea. They've probably dumped their life savings into this. They got all their friends involved. I love Shark Tank here in the United States. It's, it's a great, um, it, it's just great to watch. And uh, Mark Cuban is actually from my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. So, <laughs> so it's fun to watch a hometown person. Um, but yeah, they, they don't look at the numbers. You know, they have a dream and that's important. And they do. I, it's sad when you see them get hammered with what are the numbers. Um, but that's, you know, part of the pitch. That's why they're pitching it. They're pitching the idea to get that financial prowess and knowledge on board. But in doing so, the question I would ask on their behalf is, why is the balance sheet so important and how does one learn to read it? Oh my, <laughs> nobody likes the balance sheet. Uh, well, you know, what do you have? So you started this business and what does it have? I mean, a balance sheet is a listing of everything you have. You could do it in your personal life. What do you have? You have cash, you have uh, inventory if you're making a physical product. You might have intellectual property. Are you applying for a patent for that item? What does that cost? You know, so all of those things are things you've acquired and that are yours and are part of that business's value. And then you have to know, what do I owe to people? What are my bills in, in buying these products that are in my inventory? What are, did I take out a loan to finance the start of this business? What are my, what is my loan balance? What are my loan payments? And then, you know, at the end of the day, if all is going well, that asset and that liability will net to a positive number. It's always assets minus liabilities is your equity or what your business is actually worth today. I mean, a balance sheet is a picture in time. It's going to change every single day, uh, whereas an income statement can be over a period of time. Uh, it can be a day, it could be a week, it could be a month, a year, whatever you want, you know, your income statement to look at that picture. But that balance sheet takes all of that and boils it down to what do I have today? And if you don't know what you have and what you owe, then you're, there's a good chance you're likely upside down, unless you're lucky. So now that you've enlightened us 
with the benefits of the balance sheet. And hopefully a few people who have been listening won't find themselves getting eaten in Shark Tank or getting fire on the <laughs> fire by <Right>? the <laughs> fire by the dragons. We want to move on to something now that obviously we've got a section in our show called What Are You Like? And because you've been to the UK, I can say that in a Cockney accent and you'll understand what I'm saying. Oh, okay, so fun. Now you've added a level of difficulty. I spent my time there thinking, is this English? (laughs) (laughs) What are you like, mate? What are you like? Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, what we do in this section is to ask your favourite book, your favourite film, your favourite piece of music, and ask you about those things. Okay. And also establish the reason why you like those things. So it gives people an idea of the things that you like, what makes you smile, what makes you feel good, and what you do away from when you're not juggling numbers and, oh. um, <laughs> and advising people of the best way forward. So we're going to go into your favourite book. Oh, gee. And you made, you made some choices here, and you may remember them or you may not, but let's, let's start with the first one. You mentioned American Assassin by Vince Flynn. Yes. Beyond Possible by Nims Day, I think it is, and The Joy of Living by Yongi Mingyur Rinpoche. I think I've got that completely wrong, but... Oh, I, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> but, <laughs> so let's start with American Assassin by Vince Flynn. What's drawn you to that particular book? Oh, if I could be a spy, I would love to be a spy. I am a chicken. I would last about five minutes and I'd be sitting in a corner crying, thinking everybody was after me. But I, I just, I really would. My mom used to say, if you're going to go into the CIA, I'm changing my phone number. Do not call me. Um, it's, I think it's, what is it? Am I six over there? Am I five? I always say it's MI five, but I think it's MI six actually. Okay, so say so yeah, I, I I love the cloak and dagger, the mystery, you know, the going after the bad guys. That one really strong character in a book, you know, I could say Jason Bourne is you know very similar to to the character in American Assassin, Mitch. You know, he always wins and he always just kicks everybody's butts, and it's just a a, a lot of fun. I would love to know karate and how you know be able to climb walls without any ropes ladders i just think it's fun stuff <laughs> <laughs> excellent so you've got beyond possible by nims day it sounds like or nims day. he is from nepal he is somebody just beat his record so but it, at the time it, he there's an, a special on netflix where he climbed the the world's 14 peaks in less than eight months and as a world record. And the book before that, I think it had been seven or eight years. The record had been that somebody had been able to do this. So I mean, he came from an absolute nothing village. He mean, he grew up with nothing. Uh, he, he went and he was actually in the Indian army, a British module of the Indian army it was like their special forces. I cannot think of what it was called off the top of my head, but uh, he's got a lot. Was it the Gurkhas? Yes. Yes. That's it. So he had a lot of specialized training, you know, and he, he's obviously a very tough guy and he kind of 
came into mountain climbing later in life. And uh, he's still a force to this day as an in-state foundation, does great work. He has a company, Elite Expedition. You can go all over the world now with his climbing teams and climb big mountains. And that's a passion of mine. I love, I don't climb. I'm a little afraid of ropes and climbing that way, but I love to hike high mountains. And so my in my free time, I spend a lot of time hiking, you know, around this area. And I travel all over the world doing big hikes like the Inca Trail in Peru and did Rainbow Mountain in Peru. I'm, so you know, did some mountains out in Colorado and uh, ultimately want to go to Everest Base Camp. And so that's kind of why uh, his book, it's just a very good story of overcoming some really difficult odds and doing some really difficult things. You know, it's not easy to climb the world's highest peaks and do it so quickly and um, just a, just an amazing human. So you've also got The Joy of Living by Yonggi Mingyu Rinpoche. Yes. Tell us about that. Well, I discovered this book in a, in, from the Masterclass app that was talking about meditation. Uh, and I, my profession is anxiety-ridden, and there's a lot of stress involved. And you can easily get wrapped up in that stress and um, let things get to you a little more than they should. So I heard about this book. I've never been a meditator. I never really understood what it meant to get into that state. I kind of thought it was a bunch of hooey, to be honest. <laughs> and so I, I bought this book and and it really changed how I perceive the world. And it's pretty deep. It's sometimes hard to read. Um, he is now renowned. He works with neuroscientists in, in the psychiatry and psychology world all over, studying cognitive psychology and the change in your brain waves under certain circumstances and how meditation can really make a difference in the quality and length of your life. So I just, I, I found it healing and um, interesting. It was something about, you know, a table is just a bunch of atoms. So if you really think about it, you know, all these atoms came together and decided to be a table and how that it's like, it's just a really interesting view of the world. One that the financial world does not consider at all. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So now we're going to move swiftly onto your favorite business books, and you've chosen three. You've chosen Think Again by Adam Grant, My Life in Full by Indra Nooyi, and AOL.com by Kara Swisher. Uh, wh which of those, or they all resonate to you on some level, um, which would you like to discuss? Which is the ones that um, uh, peek out to you? Um, since this is more of a business driven, uh, Indra Nooyi, uh, you know, Adam Grant is, is a psychiatrist, psychologist, the teacher at the Wharton School here in the United States, um, a professor. So and the AOL.com is just a good old school story about tech before tech was big, kind of taken, you know, the, the old days of MySpace, AOL.com and dial up and how AOL became such a huge player on the scene. But uh, Indra Nooyi's book, she's the former CEO of Pepsi. Uh, My Life in Full is a great story, again, about somebody that is uh, that overcame a lot. She grew up in India in a very small village, and uh, her family really worked to send her to school over here in the United States. And uh, she came here, and it was not what she thought. And she said, you know, she's here a couple of days. She just wanted to go home, uh, you know, ultimately persevered, uh, worked for a bunch of companies before coming to Pepsi in their operations department and um, has a really tenacious yet compassionate leadership style that resonates very much a family person and uh, worked her way up to CEO of Pepsi and, and during the, the kind of the Pepsi golden years and really made the company what it is today. It's, it's a good story. So you now also have 
three favorite albums or songs, and you've chosen a very interesting eclectic selection here. You've chosen <laughs> Pur Purple Hat by Sophie Tucker, Don't Stop Believing, Journey, and Anything by Pitbull. Oh, yes. Yes. So, oh, so imagine dragons on there, but <laughs> the natural. But, uh, <laughs> well, I love all things, so don't stop believing. As a good message, obviously. <laughs> you know, I like a lot of inspirational things, and and uh, my uh, significant other and I are obsessed with '80s music, and there are '80s vacations here in the United States, '80s themed vacations that we travel to. So that's why I chose that one. Um, Purple Hat by Sophie Tucker is. I guess it would be considered electronic or maybe techno. Uh, it's just fun. It's kind of a goofy song. It's got a great beat, really good beat drops. I'm sure it's very popular at all the music festivals like Tomorrowland. And uh, I just think I, I love a good dance song. And that and, leads us on to Pitbull. <laughs> well, I mean, Pitbull's just Pitbull. <laughs> <laughs> You talk about some feel-good, upbeat music. I'm not a fan of slow music at all. So I, anything with a really good beat, I love something with, I love Latin music in general, and he kind of blends Latin music with a great dance vibe, uh, and I, I really could listen to him on loop. I do, actually. He has a channel on Sirius Satellite Radio. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to move on to your favorite films box sets. So you've got three. Um, you've got Gone in 60 Seconds, Ocean's Eleven, and Ozark. So um, I tell us a bit about those and what's your interest? Obviously, with the spy novel theme there, now I want to be a criminal and rob banks and steal cars because that's what Ocean's Eleven and Gone in 60 Seconds is about. <laughs> Same sort of thing, just on, I guess, the criminal side. It's, you know, about the little guy kind of getting ahead and, you know, pulling off these giant heists. I would, first of all, I could never be a criminal. I'd have to tell everybody what I did. I'd be like, guess what? I robbed this bank today. Or like, I just stole six cars. They're all Ferraris. Want to come see? <laughs> I would be terrible at it. I have to tell everybody everything. But I, I think that they're just fun, fast-paced movies. You, there's, they're unique. They always achieve these goals with some really cool tech. I just think it's fun. Brilliant. So you didn't mention Ozark. Ozark is, I don't know if, if uh, it's a Netflix series that was is with, oh, I'm so terrible with actors named Jason Bateman and, uh, and a family who moves to the Ozarks, which is a, series of lakes in the Midwest here in the United States, and they become money launderers for a drug cartel by accident. They kind of fall into it and they're stuck and the whole family ends up getting involved. There's a few seasons. It's pretty good. It, it's dark. There's some dark comedy in it, but it's, uh, it's pretty good. You know, they're hiding money in the walls of hotels and buying businesses to launder this money. And, and Jason Bateman is just like a stoic, nothing bothers him. Like he just very steadfast. He's like, I understand, you know, that they just killed somebody in front of you, but we have to move this money or we're all going to die. It's like, it just, it, it's, uh, it's fun. <laughs> I, everything, I like clearly like everything that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that was one of the most fun, um, <laughs> What are you likes that we've had in a long time? It's, a, it's just full of action. That's the, I'm very impressed with that. Yes, so, I have to meditate. I like to go rob a bank. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you create some variety in your life, so that's a, a that's a positive thing. 
<laughs> so we're going to move forward now. Obviously, you've given us a, a brief overview of your um, career up until now, and obviously the things that you've seen in your particular role. And now what I wanted to ask was this is, you know, we, we're in a very rapidly changing business environment. Literally, as you said, we've discussed chat GPT and the way that they, things are going to change as a result of that. What do you see the most significant challenges and opportunities for CFOs and financial leaders such as yourself? And how would you, how do you feel that they should navigate these challenges as they come up? You know, I think you're going to have to be pretty brave uh, and it's easy to get wrapped up in the next new thing. And that's kind of where we are with AI right now. And uh, it, it, it's going to be super the, the, the easy road is going to be to to jump on the bandwagon. It's cheap. You can probably replace a lot of people and improve your bottom line by using AI for a lot of things. But I think it, at least in the near term, the quality of that of that decision will eventually hurt you more than help you unless you are an enormous player in the industry that has endless resources to invest and customize in that AI. Uh, you know, I, I think the brave decision is to really invest in your people and to keep educating and bringing in that younger generation and um, teaching them the value of the workplace, teaching them the value of actual hard work and not taking that easy road. We mentioned briefly, and we've come across it in our conversation just for a second, this idea of tech stacks and how they relate to accounting and counting practices. Do you see that there will be more of that? Because a lot of people don't know what a tech stack is. They just hear people on LinkedIn saying, yeah, we've got a tech stack, uh, you know. Oh, definitely new, you know, new it term. When I started at the firm, they're like, our tech stack. I, I, was, I said, our what? I said, <laughs> Oh, the grouping of software we use to provide services for our clients. Okay, tech stack is easier and shorter, so we'll go with tech stack. So, you know, yeah, I love all the, the terms that get thrown around and make everybody sound cool. It's just it's like being back in high school sometimes. Um, but, you know, it is, it's a very important thing to, to take seriously. Tech stack doesn't mean we're eliminating people. Tech stack does mean that you're going to have to be good at accounting and you're going to have to be or finance and you're going to have to be good at the technology and you're going to have to understand how that technology uses the financial data, which is often the most difficult part. Very easy to say, here's all the information on your bank statement and we just clicked a couple buttons and zoop, sucked into the software of choice that you were using. It's then saying, well, where did it go? Is it in the right place? If it's not in the right place, how do I get it in the right place? How do I know what the right place is? And navigating that that world, um, and they are all very different. So I, I, it just really it adds a layer of complexity to the finance professional, where it adds a layer of simplicity to the person we are providing that or the company we are providing that service for. The best thing you can say is that you don't have to mail us documents. You don't even have to email us documents and fill up our you know inbox every mm. day. You, you could take a picture with your phone of something that came in the mail and upload it directly into this software where we'll say, oh, you know, here we got a bill today. I'm going to code it to, I'm going to say, oh, that's uh, taxes. But it's taxes and off we go. So it, it's just understanding the flow of data is really key in understanding a tech stack. 
There is a temptation in this world where there you can do so many things for yourself. Sometimes you meet people who are photographers and they get really annoyed because everybody's got a phone, so they feel that they're a photographer as well. And everybody who's got a laptop is now a music producer. Do you, <laughs> do you feel that with accountancy and tax professionals that people don't often, especially new business owners, don't often understand how critical they are to maintaining and growing your business? You, you know, I, I think maybe in the short term, I, I think most, most people, people, unless you have a bottomless pit of money, realize pretty quick that you, unless you're in a financial services world, you, you need some help. I, I I don't find that people wallow in, in people are afraid of their money and afraid we were talking about earlier, afraid to really look at their finances and the applications. They don't want to mess with these applications. So they are happy to give us a call and say, can you please help me with this? You know, it might take a few months. It probably takes a couple bounced checks <laughs> you know, before somebody really, really realizes that, but it doesn't take people long. And Going forward, obviously, we are sort of coming towards the end of our interview here today. What do you think is going to be the future for you? And what's the future for KWC? Oh, well, the future is nothing but exciting for me and KWC. Uh, you know, our practice, we started our advisory practice just about five or six years ago, started out with two people. And as we've now grown to 15 people and plenty of clients. And, uh, you know, we're looking to grow that business over the next few years. And people really are knocking at our door from all walks of life with businesses from manufacturing to tech services to medical businesses. You know, pretty much everybody wants help. AI is a big, a big instigator. People do reach out and say, oh, we want to, you know, get, get on board with this whole AI thing. And, and um, people what? really want to use the software available in a way that they can, they really want that dashboard. And the dashboard is not something that's always, you can maybe get something into QuickBooks, but getting those dashboards to reflect something that is, you know, helpful is not easy. Well, Kira, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and coming along and sharing your enthusiasm, your dynamism, and your just your general joie de vivre. I use a French word. Oh. I wanna, <laughs> instead of I like Paris. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure having you on and I just wanted to thank you for sharing your wisdom and sharing your openness about accounting, accounting services, about collaboration and about what it is, what businesses need in order to basically take advantage of uh, the systems and the operations that are out there. Oh, well, thank you very much. I have very happy to be here. I've had a great time chatting with you. I feel like I could chat with you all day. Thank you very much. So Kira Wisman, Operations and Leadership Expert at KWC, Certified Public Accountants. Thank you for joining us on The Cashflow Show. 
We've come to the end of the cash flow show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom, and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes, which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk.